0: 57 Buick. Logline. This is the story of a young man named Taylor Smith who saves an old 57 Buick from the scrapyard in order to restore it, only to find that some cars are better left scrapped. Some cars are relics of dormant possessing spirits. Welcome to Riverwalk Tales of Terror, written and voiced By author and actor, Josh Diaz. All rights reserved. Polymath Entertainment. 2022. Have you always been a fag or was it when you just met me? Johnny Two Monks Magoo said to Sassafras Dunglethorpe. Self-affixed psychotic stage names for the apocalypse. Ugh, you're such a cunt, Johnny. You know I ain't got no dick lately, and you want to tease me with that butt fuck talk? Sassafras Dunglethorpe, the tranny with the lazy eye, says that she pulls out a very large hand cannon 357 Magnum. Johnny lowers the automatic window for Sassafras, who holds out the 357 Magnum like he means business. Just shoot her in the leg. Remember, we can't be too forceful with our plea. Johnny says lighting up a doobie while snorting some crank from the pit between the base of his thumb and index finger. <laughs> Niggas will be paid, won't they, sweetheart? Sassafras says, smiling through his caked-on tranny makeup. you goddamn right. Johnny says, just as the stolen 57 Buick, the two soon-to-be felons are driving rounds the corner of Gervais Street, entering the Arts District of Columbia, South Carolina. A blonde woman and her blonde-haired son play tetherball, hitting the ball, laughing as they both try to get the ball to wrap around the pole successfully. Just as the young boy hits the ball harder enough to secure his victory, the mother sees sassafras hanging out of the 57 Buick, holding the hand cannon pointed right at them. In a fury of panic, the woman screams, holding her chest. No, don't do! Don't. She screams as the young boy is startled and looking right into the barrel of the gun as it fires, hitting his mother right between her eyes, caving in her head and splattering chunks of her brain, the parts that had just created the new memories of mother-son time all over his innocent eyes. Mom! The terrified young boy screams. Just as the 57 Buick squeals around the corner, there is another gunshot that rings out. This time, from inside the Buick. I told you not to kill her! I told you! Just shoot her in the fucking leg, you motherfucking abomination Johnny screams covered in the blood of sassafras whose eyes are crossed with a permanent crook of the mouth jeering a fuck you smile Johnny screams over and over slamming his forty-five against the windshield glass making it crack and difficult to see out of as he drives like a maniac still high on PCP Johnny slams on the brakes he backs up jerking the wheel turning back to go where he had just come from Get the bitch! Get the kid! No fucking witnesses! Johnny screams like a hell demon, still looking for his revenge on the mother that never loved him. The bitch who only tortured him with fables of bad people and bad vibes, self-afflicting tales made up in his head. World ain't evil, I'm (laughs) evil, you cunt! That's That's a good little boy, Johnny. It's a good little boy, Johnny! Johnny screams as he rounds the corner looking for cops to see there are none. The park is in a bad part of town. The cops would avoid this area. There may not have even been a good Samaritan that called. Just as Johnny thought. No one. The young blonde-haired boy is holding his mother's hand, crying for her to come back to life. Wake up! wake up mom wake up mom wake up the doctors can fix you the doctors can fix you wake up mom wake up the young boy screams through hysterical tears adam Adam, come come here boy over here to your father! Johnny screams like a madman, red-faced and still high on the adrenaline of being the only living co-conspirator of his ex-wife's murder. Dad? Why are you here? Adam sees the 57 Buick that has blood splatters all on the inside, with Sassafras' hand hanging out of the vehicle, dead and limp. Johnny stumbles out of the 57 Buick, stiff and tense, like a board of wood, stressed and murderous he shuffles his way toward his son, gripping the handle of the forty-five hand cannon like he could crush it under his intensifying rage. Come on, boy! Come here to your father! Come here to your daddy! I got some Tonka toys to give you! Johnny screams, looking skinny, pale, and definitely not all right. You killed her! You killed my mama! Adam screams just as an older woman, walking her dog, sees the scene with the murdered mother. Oh, my God! What did you do?! The passerby woman shouts through her thick bifocals and bad perm. Johnny doesn't even look at the woman. He just points using his heightened trained military senses and fires, filling the woman with a double tap of his 45, making young Adam disappear behind a wall of shock like he were deaf and dumb. His blue shorts turn a darker blue as he pisses himself, making Johnny give a disgusted GOD BOY as he sees the yellow urine feed into his socks. Johnny snatches up Adam, who is still holding onto his mother's hand, not letting go. He has a death grip on her, making her jerk and drag slightly as Johnny yanks at his son, Adam. LET! LET GO! LET GO! Johnny yells, kicking his ex-wife's dead hand out of his son's who will need couch time for the rest of his life. What little remains. Johnny throws his son into the Buick, using a bungee cord to bind his legs and arms to the Buick's back seat. He runs, sweating, making little panicked grunting noises as he grabs up the body of his ex-wife, throwing her over his shoulder as pieces of her skull flap down, exposing her destroyed brain that is half in, half out. Johnny throws her body into old 57 Buick, leaving quite a mess. Ah, jeez, Johnny says as he runs back to pick up the passerby woman and her yapping brown pekinese dog, who Johnny quickly stomps to death, not before it gives the most god-awful groans and screeches. The last stomp crushes the dog's skull, squishing out its brains, reminding him of a toad he had stomped to death as a child, making his friend Cory vomit as young Johnny had laughed. Johnny takes a moment to watch the dog's eyes go cross as it gives a long last groan. The blood pours from the smashed bits of canine skull. Johnny grunts with a satisfied smirk. He picks up the leash still attached to the dog's neck and begins to drag it with the older woman still over his shoulder. There are a few birds chirping in the trees giving the scene an uncanny normalcy. After he dumps the body of the granny passerby, and the dog, into the trunk of the car with his ex-wife, he slams it shut, giving a loud and mighty... yee Ain't no law gonna stop me from doing the devil's deed! It was three hours before Johnny, who was plenty drunk by now from wild turkey, had reached the edge of the hilltop forest with the deep ravine where he planned to dump the bodies of all the people he had killed that day. Internally, he is debating on whether he should just kill his son. Late term abortion. Late term abortion. He keeps repeating in his mind as he keeps making seething cartoonish like <laughs> as he sucks in breath through the thin stress of his lips that are peeled back like wind is being blown on his face by a jet engine. (laughs) Now boy, I had to do it. Your mama was a real cunt. I just wanted to shoot her. I just wanted her shot in the leg, to warn her. I won't go be paying no more fucking child support. Especially when she was fucking that goddamn nigger really from the fucking mechanic shop at the dealership! Johnny looks over to his boy, Adam, whose eyes are looking up in a trance-like stare, obviously caused by extreme trauma. He is catatonic. Hey, we could still be friends, but you gotta promise me you won't speak any of this to nobody. Johnny looks over at Adam with eyes of stone as he snorts some more crank, getting jacked up further on methamphetamine. Adam doesn't respond. Johnny begins to hum, The Devil Went Down to Georgia, as he makes his final decision on what must be done with his son Adam. It only took two minutes for Johnny to throw his ex-wife Carla, a passerby old lady, and sassafras into the rocky ravine that was filled with roaming wolves. Johnny took in a big, heaving breath as he pulled up his now-mute son by the arm as he stared off into empty space. Johnny walks his son, Adam, over to the ravine's edge that has a sloped, natural granite surface Johnny squats down, looking into his son's near lifeless eyes. The chill of twilight is setting on. Boy, now boy, you gotta tell me if I can trust you with what's been done today. Johnny looks for any type of response from his son, but finds none to be had. Johnny turns his head like a coward, not looking at his son as he pushes him off the side of the ravine into the gorge. His son Adam never made a sound, at least not until his little body splattered on the rocks at the bottom, which Johnny didn't even notice. Johnny felt an instant relief wash over him as he began to smile. Ooh, I should have done that sooner, Johnny thought. Would have been a lot less mess to clean up. <laughs> Next time, abort, Johnny thought. (laughs) One minute later, already planning to call Carlita, the whore from... Jim's fun time saloon, Johnny backed up the murder car near the ravine thinking he was going to ace the disposing of evidence, only to get his foot caught underneath the accelerator pedal causing him to fall and get dragged screaming into the ravine with the old 57 Buick that still had a fresh matte, silver finish. 3,000 miles away, Julie was tending to her pile of crawdads when she had a waking vision standing by the shore of the marsh. Petrified, she shakes as she sees what may happen in the future if a certain 57 Buick is ever recovered. Collapsing to the mud, she realizes she has pissed herself. Missa? I sure don't want no part of that. God help him. God rest his soul. The boy don't know what he's about to do. <sighs> Ooh. Visions for Julebe happened from time to time. She thought she was just imaginative. Her mother thought she was a psychotic. Julieb stood looking at the mud caked on her hands, smiling, feeling the sun on her back that was making her sweat. Yes, sir? Dis a fine day. Walking toward the boiling pot of crawdads, a rush of peace washed over her. She never thought about her vision ever again, even when the moments of gruesome death began. Three thousand miles away, thirty years into the future. It was 10 years before anyone found the Buick and the skeletal remains of the deceased. Johnny's skeleton corpse was found still raging behind the wheel with the jawbone unhinged. There was very little that remained of him. The bones were disposed of by the hunter turned scavenger, looking to trade in the hunk of busted, contorted metal for enough cash to buy a new hunting rifle. With no mention of cold case murders, the 57 Buick ended up at Frank's scrapyard where it sat for another 20 years. A long rest for a cursed breed of wheels. That rest was finally over as young Taylor Smith smiled, studying the beat-up frame of the 57 Buick from behind the chain-link fence of Frank's scrapyard. Now, there's a ride I can fix. She's mine. She's mine. Taylor said, not like himself, opening the gate of the scrapyard in order to introduce himself to Frank, who he was about to make a deal with for the frame of the 57 Buick. A deal that would be his last. Chapter One Frank's scrapyard. Now, kid, I know you love this frame, but 500 bucks is is too much money for that car. Frank says as he spits tobacco into a sawed-off Mountain Dew bottle that is half-full with black goo. Taylor looks at Frank with astonishment. He's never been undersold by a seller before, not that Frank was actually selling. Usually... Five bills for a rusted, beat-up piece of shit was a good deal any day of the week at the scrapyard. Taylor noticed Frank was acting weird. Frank kept glancing out of the main office into the yard, where you could clearly see the 57 Buick like he had placed it there to keep an eye on it. Okay, then. How much, Frank? I got a hole burning in my pocket to give you this money. Taylor says, stonewalling Frank with a persistently great deal while simultaneously appearing older than he is. Frank nervously looks from the Buick that is at rest outside, looking like the ghost of something bad to Taylor as he glances with a side eye. But Taylor doesn't care. Taylor needs that 57 Buick. How old are you? 22. Taylor says, not blinking. Well... You should be a fucking stockbroker with the set of balls you got on you for even walking in here. You know I actually shot a kid once just to set an example of him, and to warn others never to show up here unannounced. Well, when I see something I want, Frank, I go after it not thinking, Taylor says hiding the rising lump in his gut, realizing that Frank might be nuts for real. Frank looks to Taylor with almost pleading eyes. (sighs) Look, kid, I like you, but you really don't want this car. No, Frank, I really do, Taylor says as he fans out the five crisp hundred dollar bills in front of him onto the standing metal desk between he and Frank, not noticing the playboy nudes laminated to its surface. These are balls even Taylor didn't know he had. It was as if he were being impelled to be bold. You still keep the kickstand out when you're riding your bike like a toddler riding his tricycle with training wheels. Taylor thinks to himself in a flash. Frank looks around like he doesn't know how to say what he is about to say. Taylor starts thinking about the kid Frank had just claimed he shot. He thinks fast, wondering if that were true. It may or may not be. Taylor doesn't fucking care. It doesn't matter. He wants that fucking car, and he doesn't even know why. But soon, he will Supernatural forces are at work pulling him into needing that fucking car. That 57 Buick he can already see restored sitting behind the dirtied window of Frank's dank, oil-stained office. Frank, not knowing what to say, throws up his hands, glancing down at the Playboy nudes on the desk, feeling the need to jerk off. All right, kid. I see I can't persuade you. Did you have the conversation in your head, you old bastard? You said nothing. Johnny thinks as he looks with Taylor's eyes at the frame of the 57 Buick through the shop window that looks charred, like it were ready to come alive. Taylor shakes his head side to side slightly. Johnny? Who's Johnny? Taylor thinks, suddenly feeling invaded by foreign thoughts and whispers. We'll let fate decide, Frank says with immutable confidence. Taylor smiles. (coughs) He loves a challenge. Now it's not obvious, but what year was that vehicle made? If you can answer me that, it's yours. Now I gotta warn you, kid. This car has a fucking history. 1957, Taylor says swiftly without missing a beat. This silences Frank, whose body language drops with the weight of Taylor's win. Not because he is losing a prized possession, but because he is handing over a hunk of metal that is dangerous. Not dangerous in a structural stability kind of way, but in a ghostly way. Spooky fucking metal. Frank had privately nicknamed it one evening after the Buick had groaned at him with a metallic whine as he walked by it holding a bottle of wild turkey, a detail he since shared with no one. Frank had made it a point to not ever put wheels on that spooky fucking metal beast because he felt it might want to get him for not sharing the whiskey. Frank slept better at night knowing that that… 57 Buick didn't have its mechanical guts to do anyone harm. Most importantly, its wheels. There it sat in the scrapyard, resting on blocks. You can't save them all, Frank thought with a necrotic whisper. All right, kid. It's yours, Frank says, suddenly grabbing both of Taylor's hands from across the table divider, gripping them with his old man strength, pulling Taylor forward as if saving him from falling off of a cliff. Taylor stares right into his eyes as he looks with locked-in laser focus at Frank, who is dead fucking serious. I take no responsibility for what happens to you and the ones you love when you take that goddamn abomination out of here. Frank's yellowed, jaundiced eyes glaze over as Taylor feels he might vomit, smelling the three-day hangover oozing from Frank's unwashed body, penetrating through his sweaty, tobacco-spit-stained overalls. A detail Taylor oddly noticed as he felt his gaze being pulled from the fleeting interest of Frank's poor health and hygiene choices. Taylor looks out through the boxed window with the 57 Buick perfectly framed. With the stench of dead rat in the air, Taylor begins to notice something he hadn't picked up on before. There was a feeling of dread when he looked at the car now, a feeling of dread that drowned him with rising fear, and he didn't know why. But soon, he would. Later, Taylor would ask himself, when it was ending, Why didn't I ask about the fifty-seven? He didn't need to. He already knew. And for some bizarre, almost supernatural reason, he didn't care. Right now, the 57 Buick was his. And that's all that mattered to Taylor. The only action left now was for him to bring the beast back to life. It took 50 bucks and four shots of wild turkey to get Frank to haul the frame of the 57 Buick over to Taylor's house, located on Pine Bluff Avenue, that was 20 miles out of the way of Frank. Frank's scrapyard really was in the ass end of town. Frank's scrapyard really was in the ass end of town. Taylor had thought as Frank lowered the body of the Buick onto ready-made blocks Taylor had set up the week before. An ass with an asshole. Unceremoniously... Frank got into his truck, not saying a word, only farting loudly, as he slammed the tow truck door shut, driving away without a proper dedication. Taylor got to work immediately. Taylor had already prepared his father's garage, who was still letting him live rent-free while he finished up his pre-medical training over at the local university. More or less, Taylor hated being a medical student, but it made his mom and father proud which was all the acceptance Taylor needed to move forward in life with dignity. Standing in the dank driveway of his father's garage, Taylor couldn't help but feel more of the dread that he hadn't thought about since he had ridden back with Frank in his tow truck, who had been completely silent all the way to where he now stood in the family garage, ready to begin the reconstructive phase of his 57 Buick's hot rod journey. Holding the sand blaster. Taylor felt frozen, looking at the remains of the vehicle. He almost didn't want to touch it. He was afraid to. This restoration was a long time coming. He felt he needed this car. He needed to resuscitate it back to life. Regardless of the consequences deep down inside, he knew that there would be. Taylor didn't care get over it, you pussy, Taylor says to himself in a voice he did not recognize as he flips the sandblaster switch to on. With his quick thumb, Taylor would like to think it was his own unique courage that had turned on that sandblaster, but really, it was the 57 Buick and the nefarious spirit that resided in it. The turning on of the sandblaster had startled Taylor. He would soon forget why As he slipped into a trance that would see him complete the task of fully reconstructing the 57 buick in less than a month's time the last month he and his family would be alive chapter Chapter two, two first kill first kill the black of night cascaded over the terrestrial landscape As frogs and crickets croaked and chirped, the lush foliage of the river's edge swayed in the wind as a mist was already resting above the trees. In the distance, the young scurrying sounds of wooded creatures could be heard rummaging and foraging for good kills. But no one was around. A light In the distance of the 435 highway lining the river's edge beams the forest, sending radiant light in all directions, making the feral wildlife scatter back into their burrows. The forceful sound of a great calamity, an engine from hell, is roaring toward its destiny at some point in the distance. The destination not known. The driver, Taylor. The beast. His fully restored 57 black Buick with the 460 long-stroke engine. The frog's croaking ceases. The crickets chirp no more. The hell beast that is the 57 Buick roars with its bloodshot eye driver, Taylor. Taylor stares into the night. His hand grips the steering wheel as if he's only the vehicle's trooper. If you were looking at Taylor, you would think he were the vehicle's slave companion and not the driver. It was as if the car were driving itself, raging as it pumped gasoline into its hellfire pistons. His black leather jacket looks old and worn down, like his face. Only 22, and he looks 40 now. The weight of his spiritual coupling with the 57 Buick has taken a great toll on him physically. Taylor still believes he is the one driving the car. It was only an hour later that Taylor and his 57 Buick made their first kill together. It was late night on Main Street at 3 o'clock in the morning. A bum had been rummaging through trash behind a bar that was closed. The bum had found a quarter bottle of unused Jack Daniels, and drunk it down in one fantastic gulp like it were water the liquid courage was his only refuge from the nightmare of his unhoused circumstantial plight at one point this old man the bum had been an all-bright scholar with a full ride at caltech university in pasadena california after a lab accident that literally fried his brain he suffered catastrophic brain damage that left him blank and partially dumb As he shit into an abandoned mop bucket, the bum lamented seeing a momentary spark of his former life. Stranded synapses left as broken pieces in his mind, a former life filled with wonder and intrigue. Only the feeling of the drink could fill him now. As the old man sang, Feeling fine. Feeling in time integers that mimicked the solved equation to his life's work. He didn't notice the red headlights that glowed with murderous intent as Taylor's 57 Buick slammed into the bum, exploding the Nobel Prize-sized head-filled with dormant technological wonders that would have liberated the human race from its enslavement to fossil fuels. As the gore splattered onto the windshield of Taylor's beloved hot rod restoration, He thought he had hit a trash bin, with the splatter being a carton of milk. That was just the 57 Buick whispering false images into his mind. Soon, Taylor would be compelled by his 57 Buick to take it for a late-night rinse, cleansing it of its copious amount of vehicular homicide evidence. Taking control... Taylor turns on the radio that is playing the same song that Johnny and Sassafras were listening to when they murdered that poor mother nearly three decades before. Taylor nods. Taylor nods his head as he drives toward the entrance to the coin-operated 24-hour car wash. Taylor didn't notice when the car began washing itself. Taylor was too busy laughing. Taylor awoke the next morning in what felt like an alcoholic daze mixed with a concussion. He looked to his bedside digital clock to see it was 7.31 a.m. Taylor tries to sit up, but can't seem to find the strength to do so. God God damn it. it. What What happened to me? Taylor asks, with a gruff in his voice that makes him unrecognizable to himself, He reaches over to his nightstand to find a glass of orange juice waiting for him with a note that says, Thought you could use some aspirin and a nice glass of OJ slugger. Toasters by the bathroom sink like you like it. My little efficiency aficionado. Love you, mom. Taylor gulps down the orange juice, not bothering with the aspirin. Pre-medical training taught him that it's bad for the gut biome. Taylor can feel the orange juice coursing through his veins, reanimating his body as he finally gathers the strength to stand. He stands wobbling, looking at himself in the dresser mirror. Taylor looks down to see he is only in his underwear. He makes his way to his bathroom, hoping that he can puke to get this feeling out of himself. It is a toxic feeling that somehow feels like anguish mixed with regret. Taylor stumbles to his bathroom sink, collapsing at it like he were about to pray to the sun god Ra. Asking for the blessing of rain. Looking at his bare feet, he sees a smudge of what looks like. There is a knock at the bathroom door. Hey, kid. You all right in there? Taylor's dad asks. Him with old man authority. Yeah. Good. Yeah, thanks, dad. Taylor says oddly. The odd response from Taylor is met with an odd pause from his father, who Taylor can feel is lingering just behind the bathroom door. Taylor doesn't want his dad to see him this way, so he quickly turns on the shower to drown out the awkwardness, while hopefully giving the audible cue for his his dad dad to split. Is that good enough for you, fucko? Taylor heard himself say. Taylor never thinks or talks this way. An icy dagger of chill fills Taylor's midsection as he looks up into the mirror to see specks of blood covering his face. He moves in close to the mirror to see the blood has dried. He can smell it, he had thought the smell and taste of blood might have been his gingivitis, but it was definitely not. Wh- whose blood is this? Taylor asks himself with a whisper. Hey, slugger, you all right in there? Taylor's dad asks intrusively, making Taylor this jump with pre felony fright. fright. Taylor hadn't felt this rushed since his first outing to the Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus when he was only five years old. God damn it, what did I say? Taylor responds with a resounding rage that strangely did not feel like it was coming from him. There is a pause at the bathroom door that feels like Taylor has maybe hurt his father's feelings. His father turns and walks calmly out of his bedroom and softly closes the door behind him out of respect for his son's obvious need for privacy. Jerking off was the first thought his dad had before he began to descend down the staircase away from the mechanism that would see him dead in less than twenty minutes. Taylor stares at himself in the mirror. Suddenly seeing what looked like a mirage of two persons coexisting in the same space, it was like the spirit of a ghost that had slipped up showing the seams of its inhabited body. Him. What in the hell? Taylor whispers. Taylor has a sudden change of self that freezes his haunched body that is loitering over the running sink. He attempts to move his eyes, but they are no longer his eyes. They are the eyes of someone else. Someone crazed. Taylor has a terrifying thought that he may be having a schizophrenic attack. He He locks locks eyes eyes with the new inhabitor, gasping as he attempts to look away from his own invaded reflection menacing him through the mirror. Look at me, motherfucker! You tell anyone about me, I'll kill your whole fucking family. I'll burn your house to the ground using you to do it! The momentary physical possession lets Taylor go as he falls back into the hard linoleum, wrapping his head against the stucco wall, putting a dent into the plaster. Taylor's eyes dart all around him, looking for some kind of bearing on reality which he feels he has none. Taylor's father can be heard running up the stairs back toward the upstairs bedroom. Taylor is trying not to scream. The shock of the momentary loss of self is giving him a panic he's never experienced. He feels as though his heart may explode. He feels like he might pass out. Not being able to breathe properly is making it all worse. Taylor's father pounds on the door with his fist. Hey, kiddo! What's up? Let me in! Taylor's father opens the door to see his son laid out hunched over with water from the sink draining out onto the bathroom floor. His father bends down to tend to his son. Taylor! 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 he yells. Shaking his son, needing to wake him, desperately hoping that the worst isn't true, Taylor's slumped overhead suddenly raises with unfamiliar bloodshot eyes that look like Taylor has the worst case of pink eyes you couldn't imagine. This disturbs his father, who stumbles back, reaching for something to grab, but slips on the water that has pooled up in the bathroom an inch thick. Taylor's father grabs the toaster that falls into the puddle of water, just as Taylor's possessing spirit moves him from the danger zone of the electrified water that is electrocuting his father to death right before his very eyes. It's not Taylor that is smiling as he jeers with menace at the screaming father who is being fried from the inside out. It's Johnny. When the police had finished their report as Taylor's mom lay weeping on his bedroom floor as the coroner wheeled out the deceased remains of their husband and father, Taylor knew that his life was over. What had just happened was no accident. What had just happened was an evil event caused by Taylor himself. Really, it was the other who had taken control of his body. But Taylor doesn't want to believe that, even though... Deep down, he knows it to be true. Taylor looked at his mother, who was inconsolable, as she screamed, snotty and red faced. Why? Why? The police had talked to Taylor extensively, asking him all kinds of detailed questions that were meant to probe what exactly had happened. With perfect truth, Taylor told them exactly what had happened. He slipped, he fell. He was electrocuted in a freak occurrence. We're going to report this as an accident, Officer Mark Johnson said with raised, graying eyebrows that were insincere in their concern. This was the officer's fourth death scene in less than 48 hours, 13th for the month. Taylor stared off into space thinking of only one thing. The 57 Buick. I need to ride. Taylor had simply said as he grabbed the keys off of his dresser, disappearing into the chaotic scene through his dead father's self-designed hallway that was filled with police, medical personnel, and memory placards lining the walls. In the haze of days, Taylor ripped the pavement of his driver backing out into the street, speeding away toward his next murder. Chapter 3 the beast. The 57 Buick and Taylor not only murdered a judge, they murdered the wife and ailing granddaughter too. Taylor, clearly not himself, had driven six counties over to where the 57 Buick rampaged the estate of the retired judge who had put Johnny, the Buick's previous nefarious owner, away for nearly six years. Payback from the grave when Taylor came to as he was sheamed as we just as a judge as we he and looked at the old court out the as the arms Hands still twitched with jolts and determinative spasms. Taylor screamed. He had screamed so loud that it had alerted the neighbor's dogs that were a quarter mile away. Luckily, the judge had retired on an estate that was far away from everyday life. Otherwise, Taylor would probably be dead. Somewhere, a good Samaritan would have found a way to kill Taylor. To stop the macabre he was unleashing. Taylor left the horrible triple murder scene of the judge, his granddaughter, and wife, to drive to a middle-of-nowhere self-service car wash where he washed, gory remained once. Once off again of off of the car, an awkward moment happened very quickly as the 57 Buick appeared behind <laughs> the mutilated torso of the granddaughter, launching it right into the large open metal trash bin. As if the 57 Buick were a big jungle cat throwing a launched bone. Trapped in possession by Johnny, Taylor laughed and snickered like a creep, making incoherent catcall references to women that he apparently wanted to fuck, but did not. <laughs> to Taylor, they sounded like references from 1970s biker films, dated and uniquely original. <laughs> Two tits in a slit is right for me. Taylor hisses, possessed by Johnny, the inhabiting soul of the 57 Buick. Fuck! I need a handle of wild handle turkey, turkey and some turkey and carpet bombing action. Carpet bomb action. <sighs> With the cleanup finished, Taylor, Johnny, the 57 Buick rage down the road toward their next victim. Taylor! Johnny makes Taylor look at himself in the mirror as he does the worst impression of a high noon bushwhacker he once saw on Gunsmoke. It's gonna be a real good time. It's It's gonna gonna be a a real real good good time. time. (laughs) Taylor didn't waste time jerking the wheel at the Buick when it attempted to run over his mom who was slumped over the driveway, obviously left by the police alone in the house to wander with no one to console her. Taylor might have been a willing slave to his darkest desires, having such a wide-screen inner door of little resistance to the will of Johnny and the 57 Buick, but he still couldn't hurt his mother. That was a resounding no taylor looks at his mother with empathetic sorrowful eyes then looks to johnny in the rearview mirror staring back at him through his own blue eyes the eyes were crazed and rabidly pissed off you fuck you fuck i wanted a good time and you fucked it well how about this splinter dick how about i fuck your mother with your pretty boy body You'd really hate me then, wouldn't you? You half a fucking cocksucker. Johnny. 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 You leave that boy alone. Taylor hears a woman say out loud. A woman that sounded a lot like his own mother. Madness feels like it is all consuming now for Taylor. The car revs loudly, sending the 460 long stroke into a maximum capacity frenzy that pushes it past its piston thrusting limit. Taylor's mom, Fran, is in the sights of the car like a gun barrel loaded with a surprise. Taylor pleads with Johnny in the rearview mirror. Please don't do it, Johnny. Please don't do it, Johnny. Taylor has a visible change of self in the mirror, taking on Johnny in his face, looking like the schizophrenic madman Taylor is most certainly not. Pretty boy with a pretty mom! Pretty boy with a pretty mom. Wish I had a pretty mom to look at. Hell, I always imagined a princess to be my mom when I was in juvie, just so I could have a good fucking a slender bitch to clean up after me. But you got it all, don't you, Taylor? You got it all, and now I'm gonna take it! Cause 'Cause I I fucking hate hate to see clean people people clean. Taylor comes back to himself. No! Taylor howls as the brake releases and the tires squeal against the pavement, heading straight for Taylor's mom, who looks pathetic and broken in the driveway. Spaced out, probably not even aware, she was about to be murdered with her son's 57 Buick. And it was his now. The car shoots forward like a running rabid beast, hell-bent on doing the murderous deed. Suddenly, Taylor, Johnny, sees appearing in their path a decomposing woman standing next to a decomposing boy in front of Taylor's mom, Fran, as if shielding her, familiar ghosts from Johnny's past. The car screeches to a halt, just as the front grill, which still has gore from the last triple murder scene of the judge and his family, flexes itself onto the face of Taylor's mom, Fran. Taylor, with all of his strength, bites the 57 Buick from accelerating forward. By pressing and holding the brake pedal down with both of his feet, Taylor struggles, red-faced and sweating, pushing into the leather bucket seat, like he were a dull knife attempting to be pushed through the cushioning. As his head slowly turns to look into the rearview mirror, he knows he and his mother are fucked. you got your free one in already. you got got your free free one one in in already. already. Johnny says, smirking as he takes a butterfly knife out from underneath the seat using Taylor's own. Stab himself in the leg, causing his leg to release the brake, smacking his mother right in the head, knocking her back with a loud, (laughs) The 57 Buick quickly consumes Fran, running over her, crumpling her aged and frail body like a wild African jungle monster munching and feeding on her fresh blood that her still beating heart is feverently pumping. The crunching sounds of his mother sends Taylor into a state of shock.
1: Her muffled, stupid screams.
0: Johnny says through Taylor, looking directly into the rearview mirror, back at himself, looking like the true essence of evil. Johnny laughs. <laughs> Taylor, with his mother's genetically smile. A smile that was no more. Just a crumpled, gorgeous mess. One last note into the mirror. I don't need a mask to be bad. I don't need a mask to be bad. I am the mask. I am the mask. Taylor didn't hear the gunshot that rang out by the (coughs) detective, who fired his 45 revolver into Taylor's ear just as the detective was coming up the driveway onto the murder scene in action with coffee, donuts, and Mexican food still hanging from his thick wrists, concealed with cheap plastic bags. Taylor was dead. The 57 Buick was still alive. The detective thought it was over. Johnny and the 57 Buick would prove even dead things could still move. And do great damage. I can't explain it, but I don't think that was Taylor Smith in the car doing the murder. Detective Frank's partner, Arthur Miller, looks at his 15-year partner with a guff that makes Frank root down even further with the resolve to stick to his point of view, even if it got him fired. Well, everybody is someone's precious child until they snort that first line of PCP, Arthur says, as he rips into his ham sandwich, like it were a saving grace. Did toxicology come back yet with the blood test results? Frank asks, looking at his partner like he is just realizing after 15 years his partner Arthur is a fucking pig. Inconclusive, Frank continues to stare with a look of disgust at Arthur. Arthur looks up to Frank with a cold stop staring right at Frank. What the fuck is up with you today? Can I fucking eat here? Frank grabs the sandwich out of his partner's pig-like mouth and smears it on the glass office window. Arthur doesn't rightly know what to do. He looks at Frank. Like he's gone crazy, getting real still with a mouthful of ham sandwich and wide eyes. Arthur spits out the mouthful of ham sandwich into his fist full of napkins. I don't know! I don't know. I didn't, I didn't ask about the report, Frank. Arthur says, going from explosive asshole to meekest human bowl of jello. Frank looks at his partner with disgust. Get yourself together, Arthur. Arthur. Frank leaves the office as Arthur lets out a nervous fart that leaves an echo chasing Frank down the hallway. The darkness of the evidence warehouse was replaced with a rapid ascending beam of light that filled the car evidence area of the garage. Frank, reticent to move into the garage, stares at the 57 Buick that is haunting him already. Why did that fucking kid's head have to fucking explode? I will never get over it. Frank thinks to himself. Nervous, Frank goes to take a step, then stops before making the first step, remaining in place. He stares at the grill of the car that still has bits of gore caked to it. What the fuck am I afraid of? The kid's dead. Frank says <sighs> to himself, giving fuck am I afraid of? The kid's dead, Frank says to himself, giving a linebacker's shake of the shoulders like he had been rousted on the field. Looming post-traumatic stress, Frank steps into the garage against all instincts as a searing lightning bolt of panic begins to take hold of him as he gets close to the 57 Buick. Yo, partner, Arthur belches, scaring the living fuck out of Detective Frank, making him jump spinning around pulling his revolver on his partner. Arthur drops his red slush icing and bag of waffle fries onto the hot pavement, spilling it like a crime scene, throwing his hands up into the air like a perp. Yo, Frank! It's It's me! What the fuck? Arthur nearly squeals as chunks of waffle fry and icy spill out of his mouth. Frank looks at Arthur, holding his gun on him, longer than he should have. Slowly, Frank holsters his revolver. You scared me, Detective Frank says like everything is cool. Everything is not cool. Arthur is legitimately concerned and will be making a visit to the captain's office just as soon as he can see to it that Frank doesn't accidentally kill anyone at the garage with his PTS-fucking-D. An elongated term used by the captain when describing troubled homeless vets. What's the news? Frank asks, with his back facing Arthur as he stares down the 57 Buick. This car may have been involved in that triple murder with the judge and his family. I hadn't heard about that one. Frank says, as if in a trance. This guy is fucked. This guy is fucked. Arthur thinks to himself looking at his partner who he is sure is suffering from some sort of ptsd after killing taylor what's What's to be be done done with with the 57 57 buick frank asks not sounding like himself crime scene will be down here in 10 minutes to print the wheels to get a match at the judge murder scene no frank says "What?" what 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 Arthur asks, legitimately thinking about pulling his gun on his partner in the interest of safety. Arthur puts his hand on his sidearm, popping the safety strap. As Frank turns toward Arthur, the 57 Buick lights up with a raging engine popping itself into gear, accelerating rapidly, out garage, just in time for Arthur to raise his gun toward Frank, as Frank moves out of the way of the speeding 57 Buick with only a kiss of his suit jacket against the front right headlight. Arthur, the fat fuck that he is, of course can't maneuver himself in time to get out of the Buick's path as it rampages into him, sending him underneath the frame of the 57 as it consumes him, crushing him and crunching him like the others. Arthur is a big man. And it takes a little more effort from the 460 long-stroke engine to do its job and kill Arthur once and for all. Frank just stares, stares, standing limply, watching with cold, lifeless eyes, as the 57 Buick, a car that is driverless, crushes and kills his partner of more than 15 years. You squeal good like a well-fed... Frank mutters to himself as other policemen run out into the parking lot toward the deadly scene attempting to do something about the horrifying death that has already taken place. Arthur's head crushes like a grape, spilling out his brains onto the hot pavement like unset jello on this hot summer's day. Frank, Frank, what the fuck happened? Frank, what the fuck happened? Help! Sergeant Miller screams at Frank as he just stands there. The 57 Buick backs up and runs over the female sergeant in a similar beast-like way, like it had with all the others. "'Consistent. I like that,' Frank mutters. As the 57 Buick continues to crush the female sergeant as she screams, the passenger side door opens for Detective Frank, who gets in like he were getting into his limo at a five-star hotel. As he sits, the 57 Buick closes its door gently behind him. Detective Frank looks out of the car window down at the gore as it splatters, bursting from underneath the vehicle in all directions. Now there, there's a piece, Frank says, looking sly just like Johnny would say. Officer Michaels shoots Detective Frank before he can exit the police parking lot. After seeing her partner mangled by the 57 Buick, she didn't hesitate. She just pulled her hand cannon and BANG! No more retirement dreams of owning a condo in Palm Beach. Detective Frank was dead. His eyes were missing and his brain was ruined the interior of the bucket seat leather. But then, The Buick began to take hold of Michaels, who began thinking about snakes between her legs as she moaned like a whore needing more. The Buick needed a fresh soul to consume, to mock, to humiliate, to destroy... Just as freely as Detective Frank put himself into the driver's seat, so did Michaels as she ripped open her police trousers to begin pleasuring herself by masturbating with her baton. Just like Taylor, she looked into the rearview mirror lusting after the fine piece that she was. It didn't matter that she was shot three times in the chest and once in the head by incoming officers flooding the scene as she fled. Johnny and the 57 Buick were much too powerful now. A fine piece of slit. Now fuck em. Just like Johnny would say. We're all headed to the final destination and it's the same for me as it is for you. Former police officer Michael screamed with Johnny deep inside her, puppeteering her dead corpses every move. The 57 Buick, separate from the two, rages down the open city streets, careening into pedestrian after pedestrian, galvanizing human flesh, transforming the streets and sidewalks into a fantasy stroll into the macabre. Blood and guts everywhere, spilling man, woman, and child all consumed into the belly of the beast that is the 57 Buick. "'Nothing's ever gonna be the same in this town! yee The possessed Michaels jeered and screamed, "'More and more and more and more!' Until finally, the city of 503 lay at rest in pieces. As darkness fell, so came the night. Flames of hell shoot out from the newly developed exhaust pipes on the 57 Buick's underbelly, an upgraded reward from the devil." For the dirty deeds. The 57, the 57 Buick fu- raged, the leaving the, the town covered, covered in phantasmic gore as Chinese Johnny's Officer, Officer Michaels, Michael's corpse fell apart, Puppet revealing, fell an apart revealing an empty skull and eyeless whispers of a nightmare waiting to find its next town, which was no more than 35 minutes away. Awkwardly, The former policewoman jerked up its stiffening arm to turn on the radio, which happened to be playing The Devil Went Down to Georgia by the Charlie Charlie Daniels Band. As rigor mortis began to set in on the Officer Michaels' corpse puppet, one final look into the rear-view mirror at the town and a final look of the once-beautiful Officer Michaels sends Johnny into a howl as the skin on its face flaps down revealing muscle and skull. With no eyes to see the road ahead, Johnny finally felt free. And he's a-coming! The devil's coming! The, the devil's, devil's coming! With a sickening laugh, the possessed corpse of Officer Michaels used by the demented spirit of Johnny, helped along by the demon that was the 57 Buick, head into pitch black darkness toward their next town's dead reckoning as the fires of hell followed in its wake. Creating human ash as exhaust. Fin. Hello! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. the Oh! 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 Pretty good, old son But sit down in that chair right there Let me show you how it's done Fire on the mountain, run boys, run The devil's in the house of the rising sun Chicken in the bed, bear, pickin' that door Johnny said, Devil, just come on back if you ever want to try again. I done told you once, you son of a bitch, I'm the best it's ever been.